Hey, it's Jeff here. After working as an automotive tech for almost 25 years, I can honestly say that finding employment with the right shop has been the difference maker between loving what I do every day or hating my career choice. Let me tell you, I've been there, but I've also had jobs where work didn't really feel like work. I love the challenge of fixing cars. So loving what I do, that's the easy part. Finding a good place to do it in, now that's been the struggle. And that's where my friends at ProMotive knock it out of the park. They're a recruitment company specializing in jobs for our automotive industry. A-techs, B-techs, master techs, service advisors, managers, you name it. They are constantly looking for applicants in automotive to link them with available job postings at only the best vested shops around the country. ProMotive has a team of professional recruiters that can help you with your resume, prep you for the interview process, and negotiate the best pay and benefits package for you. And best of all, it's free to anyone looking to gain employment. Check them out at gopromotive.com slash Jeff. gopromotive.com slash Jeff. Just think, you could be just five minutes away from finding your dream job. When you talk about you didn't poach him, I see it like this. If you hadn't offered that young man another opportunity, we'd have probably lost him in the industry, right? He probably would be out of it. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another exciting, thought-provoking episode of the Jaded Mechanic Podcast. My name's Jeff, and I'd like to thank you for joining me on this journey of reflection and insight into the toils and triumphs of a career in automotive repair. After more than 20 years of skin knuckles and tool debt, I want to share my perspectives and hear other people's thoughts about our industry. So pour yourself a strong coffee or grab a cold Canadian beer and get ready for some great conversation. Welcome, Justin. Welcome. Um, so you were coaching your kids' baseball tonight? Yes, yeah. junior high baseball. Right on, right on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bunch of teenage boys. That's a lot of fun. So it is. Have, it is. We got twenty six kids. Have you been out fishing yet this year? Yes, I went to Missouri, done some uh, blue cat fishing, and we went up the river to try to catch some white bass, and they were not generating water. Mm. So you know what river fish do whenever the water is not moving? Yeah. Now they tell don't us do anything. For for those that aren't familiar, where are you located exactly? Um, I am twenty seven miles west of Bloomington, Indiana. Okay. Okay. I am in the middle of nowhere. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm between I'm between Bloomington and Terre Haute. Okay. And did you grow um, up? Evans there? Yes. Yeah. I've been here my whole life. Nice. Within the area, yes. Right on. I'm forty three, so forty three years in the area. Yeah. We, uh, I had some friends, we've got our early season bass season up here, which is only in one zone. So you can fish Lake Ontario, you can fish Bay of Quinney for, for bass right now. Um, we had our warmest day, like it was up, I do Fahrenheit. So we were probably almost 80 something on uh Saturday and Sunday. It was like, it was what are you so- today? Cause it's, it's cold down here today. It's, we're probably back down to 50 Low high, Ugh. I would say high forties, low fifties, and, and damp, cool, wet all day. Yes, we but, played baseball all weekend. Yeah, and it went. It was eighty on Saturday when we played, and it was forty five on Sunday. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
with nothing but misting rain. Yeah, but my uh, my one friend was out, so he could fish where he legally could fish the bass. He caught himself forty uh, largemouth. So yeah. that's a pretty good day up yeah. there this early in the year. Yeah, they're up just getting up stage and ready to spawn, right? So he was. Uh, he said he was whacking them on a crankbait and a chatterbait, so he had a good time. I don't get no better than that. No, that's pretty easy fishing, eh? So yeah, well, they say that here they're they were spawning. I'd say this cold snaps pushed them back off, mm-hmm. but I think the big ones have already spawned. None of ours are even close to that yet. So, but if the weather stays, if the weather stays like how this, long has the ice been off? Uh, so on that body of water, less than a month, I'd say. No, oh, I'd say in some of the back bays three weeks maybe before all the ice is gone that's crazy we didn't see hardly any ice this year down here oh we had lots of ice yeah we had lots of keep that (laughs) (laughs) how long you've been at this shop how long since i was eight since you were eight that's since i was eight (laughs) so the um the name of it's bill's auto repair nice bill would be my stepdad okay um him and my mom got married when i was eight so in the summertime, I would sit out in the driveway and take small block Chevys apart. At eight years I old. have no idea why. I don't know what we've done with the parts. I We put them in a shed. Yeah. Back then, used parts were, that's what we used. Mm-hmm. I remember going to the junkyard when I was a kid. But yeah, I sit out in the driveway with an impact, taking heads off of small block Chevys and front covers and oil pans. And that's kind of how I got started. Yeah. They're so much, so much easier back then, eh? They were such a yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, virtually unchanged, right? From fifty-five to you know eighty-five. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah there's not a lot of difference you know. in in a small block Chevy versus the new the valve trains that are. Yeah, the cams are moved up and down and all that. There's not a lot of difference. No, but uh, I actually went to school to do body work. Oh, nice. When I got out of high school, I went and done body work at a local two-year school. And in the process of me going, I wasn't going to graduate. Let's just be mm-hmm. blunt. Yeah. <laughs> Too much fun. So one of the guys that was working at our shop was 70 something. Wow. He fell and broke a hip and we were short guys and I was ready to be done with school. So I told my stepdad, I'm like, Hey, let me quit college other than my automotive classes mm-hmm. and I'll pick up the slack during the day. And then when you hire somebody, I'll go do body work. So it was kind of, you, you didn't think automotive mechanics was going to be your no. full-time gig or, or you just kind no. of was a temporary thing, right? Your, right. your passion yeah, was we, body work. Yeah, we, I thought so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the sanding and all that stuff was, had kind of done me in. We were going to add it to our shop do right. body work and repair. So when I started filling in, then our alignment guy decided he was going to quit and go drive a truck. So I was asked if I wanted to stay on and learn how to do that until we found somebody else. Mm-hmm. So 25-ish years ago, I'm still there. Yeah, I started out with the front ends and I got really good. I was known because we had race cars. Okay. That's kind of what got me in college. My stepdad put me in a race car and I decided I needed one. Mm-hmm. So I was more worried about how fast I could make money to go fast. So is it, are we talking like a, a circle track or are we talking like a drag yes. car? Circle track. Circle track. Nice. Yeah. There's five or six local dirt tracks around here. Mm-hmm. Back in the late 90s, it was mid mid to late 90s, it was uh, big. 
Well, Jeff Gordon's raced at Bloomington, which is just down the road. Okay. Tony Tony Stewart's from Columbus, which is uh, about an hour twenty or hour forty, hour fifty from where I'm yeah. at. Yeah. If you want a dirt track race, Southern Indiana is where to go. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Nice. What I learned there kind of transferred over into the alignment business. I was just going to say because that's you know most guys I know that that are still kind of dabbling in circle track really really understand alignment better than you yeah then i don't want to say better but i mean it, it goes to a different level of okay it's green and it's good right it's it's yes what can i actually make the car do so yes caster i learned a lot about caster real quick yeah camber and just the way it all worked and how it even affected the rear end of the car mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it uh I got to where I was doing a lot of drag cars for guys and old cars and just because we got known for that. Yeah. Which helps yes. drive the other yes. business too, right? Yes. But when you do front end work for, I don't know, 15, 18 years, just where your hands don't move well. Yeah. Your back hurts. Yeah. Your knees hurt. Yeah. And uh, I told the old man one day, I said, I, we're going to find somebody or I may have to do something else because uh-huh. it just beats you up. So we started looking for another guy. Because there's at the shop now there are there's three techs and my stepdad and then we just hired a lady for the office. Mm-hmm. We're a four bay shop. And your stepdad's still still working away. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. he's I don't know how old he is. I'm sure if he listens to this, he'll be upset. But he just had a birthday the 13th this month, so I think he's 58. Wow, Man, that's sad. I don't even know. Yeah, <laughs> still- yeah, he's still he. He still likes to do it. Mm-hmm. He kind of falls in that um, technician first, business guy second yeah. category. Yeah. You know, I read the, I'm still trying to finish the E-Myth revised or revisited or whatever it is that Lucas talks about. Yeah, that's on my list as well to, to get done. My so. stepdad fits that pretty well. Mm-hmm. You, it makes a lot of sense after you think, and, and most of the shop owners around here fit that. You know, they were just technicians that went out on their own. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, I, I would, I dare to say that that is easily 60 to 70% of the industry, right? Of, of in oh, business yeah. is, is, is that exact mentality and that exact story, you know? And it, it's, you know, you know how I've networked with so many different people and it just resounds so much with me because I think that's, it's so, you know, we get frustrated sometimes with the way things are, but for so many of them, they they built it from nothing, right? And they built it with just a passion to get away from the way they were treated, right? And right. it's so hard for them to relearn or relinquish some of the control or to rethink, you know, whatever old analogy, old dogs, you know, old tricks, whatever you want to talk about. So it really resonates with me, especially in the last year, getting to know more and more owners, how hard that is, that's that to tackle that, you know, because I've, I've worked for people that are not car people, right? That are not mechanics that are, that have just got into the business. And they, sometimes that comes, that comes with positives, but sometimes there's a huge disconnect there too, right? Of what is the reality that you and I face every day, right? As a tech, if so they've those, never done it. So those guys have to really rely on shop manager. I mean, mm-hmm. right. Cause they don't know. They get yeah. out there on the floor. They're just, they're lost, right? They good with numbers. Yep. Bad with cars. Yeah. Good people kind skills of the sometimes. Of, yeah. Yeah. Kind of the opposite of the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always wondered what that would be like working for somebody that was a business only. Yeah. Didn't know anything about cars. Yeah. I, I, it was, 
you know, most of my experience of that is people in dealerships and you're like, well, if they're in a dealership, they know about cars. But I mean, you know, people within the industry know that there are tons of people that work in a dealership that knows zero about cars, right? But they've got HR skills or they've got management training or something such as economics majors, whatever, right? And they they gravitate into that business or people snap them up like, oh, they're going to be able to change, turn it around. Uh, I've seen more than one dealer principal that was never been a tech. My, some of them were never even salespeople, right? They're just business people. I believe that there's, you know, it's, it's, I say it all the time. It's not like selling an iPhone, you know, it is, it's so different. Like it's, you know, such a unique set of challenges, right? And it's so hard, I think, for us when we're seeing this industry evolve and we're trying to, you know, you want to keep the people, the good people in it. Um, you want to help them. You want to see them prosper and succeed. But then you see some of that, the old, what's the word I want to use? Kind of the old problems. And we just keep going in the same cycles, right? With uh, the way we do business and, and the way we treat our people and the way we sell this industry to our young people and the way that we represent ourselves. Tell me some of that, what you've seen, what you've struggled against. I know, big I question. struggled more. I st- I never really thought about a whole lot of it mm-hmm. until um, I Facebook. Yeah. Like I just thought that what we done was normal. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, cause we're kind of rural and I know five or six of the shops, there was two or three of them that were considered the best of the best when I was younger. They're not that anymore. They didn't change with times. The struggles I had when I was younger was I never thought I could make enough money. Mm-hmm. It, and this is funny because we kind of, chatted a little bit today and about flat rate. Yeah. But when I was in my twenties, I thought that I needed to be a flat rate guy because I was doing nothing but ball joints and breaks. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would literally keep a tally in my notebook of what I'd done that week and what I should have got paid. Yeah. Secretly I'd done it to, for myself. Right. It got to the point where I'm like, man, I, I'm not, I should, He's making everybody's making all this money off of me, right? right? And it's a family business. So you're not being paid like, flat rate at the family business. You're being paid no salary. salary. Yeah. 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 And and all of everybody there is salary. Mm-hmm. But when I was younger, I thought I was getting screwed. Yeah. I mean, but I was young and dumb, mm-hmm. right? And the older I've gotten, the more into the business side of things I've gotten, I realized that out of that let's say eighty dollars an hour then or whatever, fifty dollars an hour, and I was getting paid thirty. In all reality, I was probably getting paid more than I served. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or financially, maybe it's not about deserve, but financially it might not have been the smartest breakdown, right? Of, of Right. How the- you know, I, I kept thinking once I got through it all or I got older and more mature and realized how business worked, I realized that it was not that I was not getting paid. I mean, that flat rate was not a good idea either, mm-hmm. but I was well taken care of. Let's put it that way. I, I was I've, being a very selfish kid. Yeah. I've I've been fortunate to work both um in my career. And well, I, I, and I know you're not a flat rate guy. I you know see, I've had some years where it was really good. Way back, you know, so two thousand and three through two thousand and ten at the, the one Chrysler deal that I stayed the longest at, it it was very good for me. I mean I made good money. Um, I learned the product really well. You learn to play the game, right? So you kind of learn how, 
you, you kind of learn to spot the low hanging fruit. You kind of learn that the pattern failures, right. you live and die by that, right? So, I mean, but it was the culture always of like, you never knew when you got in the next day, you could fix the, I've, I've said it a hundred times in the groups and everything else, you could fix the most complicated, complex problem. You could take the car that's been kicked around to three different dealers. Like I was in Ottawa. So, I mean, we had six dealerships within 10 miles of my dealership, all Chrysler dealers. So it was nothing to see cars sold at a different dealer wind up in your service bay for warranty work, right? It had happened daily, hourly. But most dealerships are not like around here, one of them will be known to sell the car cheaper, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. one, two towns over will be the one that everybody goes to get it fixed because it's known for whatever Whoever it is back there that fixes yeah. it, there'll they'll be that one guy that everybody wants to go to. And my dealer was terrible for sales, awful. Their sales department was one of the lowest scoring in the province. Um, they just, they didn't have good leadership. They didn't understand that, you know, you've got to move the inventory for the inventory to make money. And they're all about, well, listen, if we sell it for this price, we only made X on it. Yeah, but if it sits there on the, on the for over a year on the lot and never sells, the interest you paid to the bank on that right. ate all your profit. There's nothing there. So we were known for being good at fixing the car. We were known at good at getting, you know, we didn't say, oh, yeah, we're three weeks out. You know, we never said no to anybody. It was not uncommon to get see a lot of different cars come in, sold at other places that had been around the horn that were still broke. And you had to learn then, okay, well, let's fix these cars. And you learned if you didn't see one. We rubber stamped a lot of estimates, put it that way, right? You kind of knew with your problem failures. And I mean, it went, not, I'm not saying we were rubber stamping against the customer. We were, you know, if you had a caravan and you knew at X amount of kilometers, it probably had a steering rack that was leaking. It needed some tie rod ends. Uh, the sway bar links were falling out of them all the time. The brakes didn't last. You know, there was a battery service to clean back when they still had, you know, spark plugs that only went 40,000 K and they would start to miss. Like it was, it was awesome. We'd make lots of money. And, you know, the customer, as long as you fix the car when it left, they were happy. They did not, when you're fixing it under warranty, they were good. But uh, it's the culture of always not knowing that the next day may hold. It was hard some days to really handle. At the dealership, that was the toughest part for me was trying to figure out how to budget for the lean months. And then how to keep my attitude positive when you would see, you know, some days you wouldn't make four hours, right? And then other days you'd have more work than you could could get done in a day. And then when you were backed up, you'd watch some of the work that really you were the one should be dispatched it. And it would wind up in somebody else's hands. And then when that would happen, and if it came back, you still got it to be fixed. But they, of course, just, you know, they hit it with the rubber stamp gravy train you know, passport, you're stuck doing, you know, I say the analogy all the time, you know, it got the fuel injection service and the spark plugs and the ECM update. And you were the lonely bugger that had to put the warranty GR valve on, right? Like that sucked. You didn't get any upsell. (laughs) That really was hard for my attitude to keep that right. Because it's a, to me, it's a, at the time, it's a very easy remedy problem. Stop dispatching it to the guy that either doesn't want to do it properly or can't. And more work for me. See, that's customers don't want to. We don't have that problem. Yeah, I don't. I don't don't know how. You know, I didn't know there was another world outside of what we had. I didn't know that 
that existed in the dealership. I've never worked anywhere else. I mean, I've yeah never really truly had another job even. I've worked some side stuff, mm-hmm. but never, I mean, I've always just been where I'm at. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know any of that. Never felt it. Don't know that I could have stayed in the industry long dealing with that. And that's the thing. Like, I, I, I don't know how guys, well, I mean, I know how they do it, but I've never, I can't say that, oh, I've done flat rate outside of the dealer environment. Right. I haven't done it. I mean, flat rate just seems, seems awful. It seems like a lot of work on the front of the house too, trying to figure out guys are getting paid right. And yeah. like you said, you got guys taking jobs they didn't need or just doing the gravy mm-hmm. train. Mm-hmm. That's my job now is the gravy train. That's what everybody tells me. <laughs> I get the easy ones. Yeah. But see, from what I hear, you don't though, right? I you're don't. the kind of, I don't you do a lot of, you, you're in the flashing thing. You're into, you're doing some, are you touching on EPROM stuff? Yeah. yeah. I do some EPROM. I mean, I'm, I'm not good at it. Um, yeah, but you're humble. That's the thing um, here. I've been to uh, Michael Christofferson and Pedro's class down at Brandon Dill's place. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot. Like every class I've ever been to, I went back and got better at it. They, I got enough information to understand what I didn't understand right. and then go back and figure it out myself. I like EPROM. I'm not sure there's money in it yet. I've saved my own butt a few times and other shops a few times. Mm-hmm. And and I got a locksmith buddy I met in a class that has helped me a bunch with EPROMing because those guys are good at it, right? I mean, they, right. they're they real good. He's helped me in the situations. I mean, I'm a phone-to-friend kind of guy. I mean, mm-hmm. if it wasn't for Matt Scuddy, I'd probably still be trying to program a Chrysler a year and a half ago. Yeah, he's... The dude is, yeah. I, Let's not give him a whole I, lot of credit, okay? Let's. No, he's. We, we all know how that's going to go. His head won't fit through the door. I, for a little man, he has a huge head. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I adore him, though. I like, I like Scuddy. Yeah. Me and him got to talking one day because we ended up in a message in Facebook that blew up, and he wrote me on Facebook, and we kind of had a common ground, and he wrote me and said, you know. We were just discussing it, and then he found I found out he liked to fish, and then the next thing I know, that's how I met you, right? Next thing yeah. I know, I'm in. Still, I'm like, yep. who the hell put me in another group te- or message? <laughs> and it says fishing. Yeah. And then yeah. I realized that Scuddy really didn't know how to do it, and he needed us to show him how. Yeah, he's he would. I would every time he would ring me. I'm thinking, oh, he's going to ask me a question about a car, or he's going to, you know, nope. It's like. Uh, I'm thinking about buying this rod or this reel or, you know, and I'd be like, well, that's not what I use, but I mean, I do know friends that use it and, you know, I can't say that it's a bad thing. Um, and you've seen me rip on him, right? Oh because yeah. He's, he's yet to get into some big fish, right? And he, he just I mean, catches them little 12 ounces down there and he lives yeah. in Florida. How can you not be well, catching is- seven pound bass? This is what I said. I'll show him a set of a video. It's like, well, Roland Martin says he caught another 10 today, right? That's like. <laughs> that poor guy. And Matt, yeah. And there's Matt on the bank and he's, you know, holding up a one pounder. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm in Canada where we have a short season. My fish, you know, my five pound fish is 20 years old, right? His five right. pound fish is seven years old. Right. And I'm like, do you know how old this fish is? This fish is huge. And he's like. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he's like you're a, you're a dick. There's no way that you should be able to catch them. He uh, did call me the other day, and I didn't call him back for a couple of days. And I called him. I said, "Hey, I'm just calling you back." He said, "Way to go! It's been two days." I said, "It ain't like you needed advice, 
right? Yeah. You're not calling yeah. me to fix cars. He said, no. actually, I was. And I'm like, shit, man. Oh. What do you? He's like, yeah, didn't you tell me something about a radar and a Tahoe the other day? You had to do a certain button to make it work. I said, no, it wasn't me. He said, never mind. I don't need you and hung up on me. So. <laughs> <laughs> that is such scudgers. <laughs> such scudgers. When I was at Nissan, he'd be like, uh, he'd message me. He's like, I'm trying to program this this Nissan. And he's like, it's a 2021. And I'm like, dude, I don't even have a 2021 to program yet. Like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I'm at the body shop. And he's like, can you find me this file number? And I'm like, oh, let me go see. And I I never was able to come through with him with what he needed, but he was always so gracious nonetheless, right? He's just thanks for trying. Yeah, I know he's got a bad rap. With, and he, I'll be honest with you, he, the first time I ever communicated with him on Facebook, he yelled at me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was in the J, yep. the in his uh, Facebook J-Box yep. page. and yeah. I was in a hurry. Shop had called me and said, can you program an airbag module in a Honda Odyssey? And I'm like, mm-hmm. shit, I don't know. Never done a Honda. Because I was pretty early in programming at that point. And, right. I me- and I messaged, put a board or put a message on the board and said, can I use a Kardak 3 to program an airbag module in a Honda Odyssey, whatever year it was. And Scundridge's first comment was, what the hell does service information say? And why are you writing on here without looking at it first? Yep. And I and I thought, what an ass, you know, what yeah. a complete ass. And then I I go look up service information. I figure out how to do it. Realize that I didn't really need a J box unless I wanted to update it because it come programmed. Mm-hmm. And so now every time I call him, I'm like, hey, I got a question. But service information says this. Yeah. But it doesn't work. So what am I supposed to do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's one of the guys that knows when the service information is wrong. Yes. Or. Or when, you know, there is a shortcut, a workaround, whatever you want to call it. He knows it. Yes. But yeah, he, 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 I've, the hundreds of conversations I've had with him, it is always read the service information. Yes. What does it say? Well, and he told me and to stay it, out of EEPROM too, but he has yeah. all that, he has all that tool too. I mean, he's like, you're not going to yeah. make any money. I'm like, yeah, but I want to save my ass sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, you know, and that's the thing we, him and I have talked a lot about, well, you're not going to make money. You're not going to make money. You're not going to make money. But I think he's starting to, I think he's starting to really value himself at the level that he needs to. I think he had some, yeah, I think he's had some help with that. I think he's talked to yeah. some people and he's got it figured out because yeah. he's like the yeah. rest of us. I don't think he's a business guy. Nope. No, he's not. He's, you know, I don't want to say that he's. Well, he's called himself unemployable, but I don't think that's the case. I just think that it's like he's very oh, now. Damn it! If you smart. owned a shop, do you think you could put up with Scuddy in your shop all day? Answer that honestly, <sighs> he'd, he'd, Jeff. He'd be too smart. No, I couldn't. He'd be too smart because he'd be right every time. Right? He wouldn't be right on the business side, but you'd be like, he'd be like, go out there and put that in that car. He'd be like, that's not going to fix that car. You're like, just friggin' do it, Matt. And he'd be like, no. I've and called him be before, right. and I'm like, man, I've run out of options. I'm like, well, it's this. I said, well, I need to prove it. He said, well, you proved this everything. It's not anything else, so it has to be that. Yeah. He goes, I yes. see it all the time. I'm yes. like, okay, but that's still not enough. He's like, it's nothing else. Just go put order yeah. one and put it on there. Yeah, yeah. We've had lots of conversations like that where he's like, you know, you don't have to sometimes, you know, he, you've heard him say, we sometimes make it more complex than it needs to be, right? Sometimes just because you didn't figure out that test didn't show you that that suspect part is bad doesn't mean that that test wasn't valid it just means that 
it's one more thing that you've been able to disprove, right? Yes. And he says, you have to remember that, that that's part of the process. And sometimes it's the long way around, but it, no test is, is a bad test, you know? No, I kind of found it in on a charger the other day. I got into a charger with an alternator light, but it was charging. And I'm mm-hmm. in some group messages and I messaged some guys and they started responding and, the alternator had an internal resistor that we didn't think was working. So they're like, put the resistor in line and do this and do that. Let's figure this out. And then all my tests come back kind of inconclusive, mm-hmm. but we decided it was the alternator. Yeah. But when you got five or six guys on a group chat messaging you, I, mean, I learned so much in like 20 minutes. It was unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. I was like, holy shit. I didn't think of that. Why did I do this? Why did I do that? I mean, you know, you got, Tommy out there and PJ and mm-hmm. all these guys that just are a wealth smart of knowledge. Guys. Yeah. Smart. It's the smartest of the smart, man. They're, Networking you know, has all- changed my career. Going to um, a Keith Perkins class was amazing. The guys I met. That's why I've done is so much that I've done for so many years in the groups. And, and I've, I've, you know, I've, I've caught a lot of bullets and stabbed a few times with it, uh, gotten a reputation. But I mean, it's because like all I ever wanted to do was to be able to bring the change that needs to happen, help the people that want to network with one another. And I, you know, not to at the end of it to say it's not about winning an argument or trying to show people, well, I'm better than you or because I'm certainly not. I am not at the level of most of the people that I network with. The difference is, is that I've been able to help the people get to know each other, right? Get to be exposed to each other, to see what they're doing. And I mean, would they have found each other eventually? Yes. But there's a whole lot of people that maybe would have been too intimidated, right, to to right. approach a Matthew Scundrich if there hadn't been Facebook groups where it's like, okay, so I've seen that name, right? I know that he's smart and he seems like a, an okay guy. Um I think I'm going to ask him a question and I f- hope that he can help me. And that's all I've ever wanted. And I think that, it, you know, I've said it before to go to ASTE and meet so many of these people that I, you know, like yourself and Matt and Brian and Paul Danner and to meet them in person after years of talking with them, right. Was, was life change. Right. And I, I left ASTE a little early cause I'd promised my boy I would be back because he played mm. that Sunday and it was his first game yeah. with this new team. And I was afraid the hurricane was going to keep me there. Mm-hmm. So I left a day early. Obviously the hurricane did not turn it. I mean, I wasn't worried about the hurricane itself. I was afraid that the, some guys had convinced me that the mountains might get bad and I would take me a day or two to get home. Mm-hmm. So I left, but I did get to meet Paul in person, which was yeah amazing. Um, and yeah. you, and I met Lucas Outside the elevator, yep. shook his hand, said hi. Thanks for what he does for us. Yeah. I, I see David cool, sitting out front, but he doesn't seem approachable, so I just let him sit there. He is not as approachable as Lucas. No, he is not. I was in a hurry, or I would have stopped and talked to him. But um, Yeah. He's, but, they're different personalities, for sure. Um, I can't say that one is better than the other. Um, it's just, you know as working with the, the two of them as much as I do, I've learned that, that it's, you know, they're, they're like yin and yang. You need them both. So <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. But that networking is like the first class I went to was an, I was a Keith Perkins class that Isaac had put on mm-hmm. down around Isaac's place. 
I had bought a laptop off Isaac. That's how me and him met. He was on Facebook. It's when he first started selling them, like 2018. He had just started. And I needed one because I'm not a PC guy. I really struggled with mm-hmm. that part of it. And I messaged him. I'm like, hey, I really think I need one of these. And he said, here, call me. So me and him talked for like an hour and a half on the phone one day. Then when that class come up, he texts or he, yeah, he texts me and said, hey, you want in on this? And I'm like, I've never been to anything outside of pizza party classes. Mm-hmm. But I could see, you can see the programming thing coming, right? I mean, it just kept getting bigger and bigger in demand. And so I'm like, I struggle with Chrysler. I struggle with, I, I wouldn't even touch Nissan back then, scared to death of them. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, I went to that class and I met, I don't, I think there was 20, 20 guys in there. And I still talk to probably three or four of them on a regular basis. Um, one of them I've become good friends with. He's like one of the locksmith guys that was there and he got me into keys. <laughs> he mm-hmm. said, why are all them locksmiths were there? And they said, why are you guys not into keys? You already have the tools other than the key cutters. Yeah. So uh, I got into that, which I really enjoy because it kind of goes hand in hand with the EEPROM thing. Mm-hmm. It's something different, right? I, most of the guys that are, your, what we call them, upper 5%, 1%, whatever you want to call them, the top of the class guys. I'm going to guess 99% of them get bored easy, right? Yeah. I yep. mean, I'd say that that's, that's personality trait for them for sure. Right. I mean, Maybe I get bored constant easy. stimulation. Yeah. I have a, um, I have an addictive personality. I mean, you all see my fishing room. It's, mm-hmm. <laughs> I pour lead, I paint crankbaits, I build fish. I yeah. mean, I'm not as much as I used to. But when I do something, we do it full bore. My right. boy had we play baseball. We he will play probably eight games this week. Uh, some of us travel, so we'll play two or three a day on the weekend. Some may not have been the best decision in my life to get him into that, but we have a lot of fun with it. Wow, it's good. It'll make good memories, man, for sure. Yeah. So would you would you say in your little corner of the world that you've got your market kind of sewn up, cornered in terms of your your skill set, like, or is, like, I guess what I'm saying is, there anyone else that's doing what you're doing? Not, not local to me. No, I. Bloomington being 28 miles away, I don't see a lot from there, but mm-hmm. I'm seeing more and more starting to trickle to me, uh, word of mouth. Um, yeah. But as far as within a 15 to 20 mile radius, yes. I mean, I've getting calls 45 minutes away to come program. The problem is, is when you give them a price to go, you know, it's an it's an hour and a half worth of driving, probably 30 to 40 minutes by the time you get your stuff in, set up, program, get out, get paid, you know, yeah. so you're looking at minimum of two hours, more like two and a half, you know, what kind of money can you make in two and a half hours in a shop doing breaks, right? Yep. yep. So why it's, I used to do it for fun. Like I would get that phone call and I would just quote them a price that I knew they would take because I wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. And then the business side. Now of, you don't feel like you have to. Yeah right? yeah. right. I don't feel like I have to. And then you start running numbers and you realize maybe you lost money. Right. I mean, but the experience yep. I gained, uh, that's a v- question that I still haven't answered. No matter who I've talked to is do you, how does that work? Like if I spend eight hours on a car, get my butt just kicked, right? And charge reasonably well for it, but probably not near enough. 
right. is that training I got in the middle of that, is that worth the money that we didn't get paid for my time? Yeah, it's it depends on who you're talking to, right? The number crunchers and the bean counters are going to say no. They're going to say you should have never touched that car. And I think Sean right. Tipping had a podcast on this mm-hmm. the other day. I believe I, because yeah. I think I listened to it. I don't think I've made it all the yeah. way through yet. I think it was the Matt and Matt show. Yeah. Whereas I look at it as like, okay, so yes, you should have taken it because a at the end of the day that's still your job right that's what you're known to do that's what the customer brought you is a car that needed to be repaired or diagnosed or whatever we want to call it um in a perfect world it's not supposed to take eight hours that you maybe can only bill five for but did you make it you know did you make it back to home plate yeah you did so you know you've got to see that as a win Right. It's not a perfect like uh, home run, but you did manage to make it in. And I think that that, you know, there's always it's like Paul Danner was talking about last month. There's always training on the job. And sometimes you you can get paid for it and sometimes you can't. But you still got to get that training. Right. We still at the end of the day, we have to learn the car. If you go home and at the end of the day and you 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 know it better than when you walked in something about your alternator like you're talking about on your Dodge. If you're more versed in that system than you were eight hours before, it's not a loss. That's the way I see it. The next one, the next one I can charge well for and probably have way less time in it than what is working. And it's like most communication problems. I mean, I have a minimum on my communication problems for as far as price. If it's a no com and it's more than one module, I try to start out at 300 bucks. Yeah. Because we all know what that's going to turn into most of the time. I mean, it's you're going to have a couple, two or three hours in at minimal. Yeah. It's, and if it's got an aftermarket anything wired into it, you probably should go even farther up, right? Yes, yes, yes. We That's one of the problems that we still are trying to work out is billing for testing. I try not mm-hmm. to use the word diag. I, yeah. I, I keep yeah. trying to use the word. I tell the guys or the people in the front, it's testing, it's testing, it's testing. And we, I have, I'm blessed. We have a customer base that is amazing. We are in a very interesting financial area. We're very rural, mm-hmm. but we also have a government naval base that's 12 miles oh. south of town. Yeah. So a lot of people here are paid. I mean, we have nice cars around here. We have, you know, everybody mm-hmm. drives Tahoes and F250s. And we have farmers, and so I'm blessed with most of my. I can be picky on my customers. That's good, eh? Yeah. It took us a long time to figure out that we didn't want to work on everything. Mm-hmm. Quite possibly the hardest thing, I think, in this business is to, to learn to say no. Yeah. Lucas says the job's not to fix all the cars, right? The job no. is to, to get as many cars as you can get done within the eight hours of the day, five days of the week. Yes. You know, you don't. If you fixed all the cars, you would have nothing. You'd have no business left. So. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that I'll ever get them fixed. They drop them off faster than I can take care yeah. of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got hooked up with a uh they sell uh, rebuilt. Well, they sell they sell storm damaged cars most of the time, hail damaged cars. Mm-hmm. Yep. They sell I think they told me 1200 a year and it's all late models, like 21s, 22s. They're I average 3 to 5 a week from them if I can keep up with them. They have their own mechanics, but they can't they can't keep up with the goofy electrical or the you know, they get water damage and mm-hmm. gotta have modules programmed or they get yeah. 
I got one in there now. It's been shot up. It was like 22s <laughs> down the side of it. 19 or 18 Renegade. But it's got a brake light switch code in it, turn all the lights on on the dash. I'm pretty sure by one of the bullet holes I've got a wire into. I haven't dug into it yet, but there's yep. a bullet hole that's almost perfectly perpendicular with the brake light switch. So I'm guessing I'm going to find either the body control module with a hole in it it shouldn't have or a wire into. Yeah, pass-through harness. Eh? Yeah, but I just can't. I, I tried to wiggle onto the dash the other day, and I got stuck because, you know, I'm not a real small guy. And yeah. So I'm going to send my one of my guys underneath there and say, hey, pull this plug in out and see if you see any bull holes anywhere. Mm-hmm. So the, the, your coworkers at the shop, are they family as well? Or uh, is it just no, you and your dad? No, just or? me and the stepdad are the only ones that are family. Yeah. The lady we hired for the office, we've all known for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. One of the plus sides of her is that she knew Bill for a long time. And I love him to death, but he can be um, hard to deal with some days. So she knew... She kind of knew yeah. that going in, so it was not yeah. – I mean, the other tech is the same age as my stepdad. They actually went to college together down at Nashville, Tennessee, from the same hometown, graduated high school together. He's been there 34 years. Wow. Pretty much from the time we opened, or my stepdad opened. He is – I would put him up – for a guy that's 58 years old, I'd put him up against anybody on R&R stuff. He can mm-hmm. take a motor out, put it in. And it looked like it hadn't been touched. Wow. I mean, he is, he's good. He doesn't like the electrical side real well. He's not dumb with it by any means. But it just doesn't bite him. Yeah. He doesn't. It's a, it's a job to him. Mm -hmm. I mean, he can put a distributor in better than anybody I know. I mean, but you give him a can problem and he's probably not going to get through it. Yeah. Not many cars coming in with a distributor. No, no, no. But he's, he's better than he leads, leads on to be. He, yeah. He likes to get there and leave at five and don't call me in between unless we're just going to BS. Mm-hmm. So in a really short period of time here, you're going to be needing to yes <laughs> find some some younger some younger people, right? Because yes. you're going to at some point, I think your 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 bill is going to want to step away, right? Yeah, I think so. My and mom then, my mom tells him he is. Um, yeah, but he's <laughs> he's that uh, that old school Dutch called it European culture, maybe hmm. where you just work. Yeah. You just work yeah. and work and work. So he's kind of, yeah. I used to be that way. And then I realized who the heck said I had to work all the time. And when yeah. did that become super manly to work 68 hours a week? Right. I mean, who, mm-hmm. and I want to know who the hell told me I had to work five days a week. I'm thinking four. <sighs> if I could get to four, you know, and really uh, I said, I've said it for years. If I could take off from like May until the end of September and not work. I would probably trade that to work six days a week for the rest of the year. And if I had to, like, but up there, you ten hour days, you can't do anything else up there, right? In those time periods, you can't do anything else. It's freaking. You can ice fish. You can ice fish, but I I don't. That ain't for me. So screw that. I don't want to die. Sounds bad to me. (laughs) Right? I mean, I get that. It's yeah. I try to my I I leave work early right now a lot for baseball and Mm -hmm. I'm. Very, but I don't, they don't, I mean, Bill doesn't say anything, but I work through my, I work through my lunch year round because I eat at my desk and look up information or just work. Yep. But yeah, I think four days a week is nice. I I enjoy mm-hmm. reading that in the ASOG of the owners that have went that way. Yep. It, it intrigues yep. me. 
Yeah, I think if you can get the customers on, like I think there's a process there where you've got to get your customers qualified. The the kind of quality customer that, you know, you don't need to be open six days a week right. or five well, days a week, right? I mean, you can make the money in four. Don't, you know? I mean, I don't know where else my, I mean, where's, where's my customers going to go? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got some good yeah. shops around me, but they're just as busy as we are, right? So yeah. I, yeah. I, that I was the whole thing that drove me crazy about the dealership is like, well, we got to be open on Saturdays. Do you know how many cars we're losing? To who? Goodyear? Yeah, but that's it. But that's, you know, be, you got to remember the dealerships are like, well, we're getting slaughtered on tire sales because we're not open, right? So we better open. And we're getting slaughtered on oil changes because uh, we're not open. And you talk to a lot of techs. Those two things, it's like, if I never had to do another oil change oh, and I never had to do another set of tires, I'd be happy, happy man. We hit, our, t- not- we, we hit our tire machine in the new shop in the far back corner so nobody can see it. Yeah. I mean, we we still do. We don't advertise. We, st- yeah. <laughs> we, we take we care do, of our good customers. We do a lot still at my shop where I'm at. I mean, and it's, it's a small, it's like we're not a big facility so it's it's kind of a secondary thing but we do we do enough of them that i'm tired of doing them well you guys get free rotation with new uh snow studs every other month or something don't you (laughs) well so in my i'm in ontario canada in ontario there's there's certain parts of it where you're not allowed to run studded and then it's certain what we call townships which would be like a county certain ones you are so if you are pulled over in my area, with studded tires on. It happened just last week. Somebody was pulled over with studded tires, and they got charged because they were living here, driving on studded tires, whereas if they had just been from the other county where they were legal, they would have been totally fine. Because, you you know... Your government's as goofy as ours. Oh, it's even goofier. (laughs) (laughs) But no, back to the... the, So the four days a week thing. Mm -hmm. So... We have a problem keeping young techs, right? Right. Or they say whatever, you know. So, you know, and you just mentioned you're going to have to find another tech, right? Yeah, too soon for you, I think. Right. So let's say um, I advertised looking for a good tech, and I said, hey, we're only open four days a week. Mm -hmm. And guess what my shop has? Air conditioning. So it seems to me like it'd be easier for me to find somebody, right? You could probably poach some pretty good talent with a four-day week. You know? There's that word poach. I've talked to Dutch about that because I've got a couple of guys I'd really like to just offer. But they work at shops that I have a business relationship with. And right. Yeah. I'm not that guy. Cause, yeah. uh, so <laughs> that leads me to our third tech or our my youngest one. I think he's 30. His name is Zach. He is my front-end guy, alignment guy. He kind of took over what I was doing. Mm-hmm. He dabbles in programming. I'm trying to teach him more. It's I have to make more time to teach him because, damn it, if there's a set of ball joints, he goes and does the ball joints, right? I need to get I, – I, I need to just cut time out of a certain day when I have a bunch of programming and teach him some more stuff. Right. I'm guilty of not doing that enough, I'm sure. But Zach worked at another shop that I program and do work for, and they bring me their problem cars and different things. Mm-hmm. I would go there and program, and it always be for him. He would always be the one messing with it. So we got to know each other and he'd text me, Hey, I'm in trouble. This thing's doing this. I don't know what to do. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I would help him, right? Cause that's what we do. I, yeah. I know what it's like to just absolutely get your ass kicked. So I would help and mm-hmm. I would help. Yeah. 
I can't remember if he borrowed a socket off of me or if I borrowed a socket off of him, but it was some kind of oddball drivetrain something. I dropped it off to him one night and uh, I said, man, if you know anybody looking, I'd love to have a tech. So you got any buddies or anything, you know, just let me know. And I, I wasn't intentionally getting him. That was not the plan when I said that. I was truly just looking yeah. for somebody. Yeah, you didn't go there to take him. No, and it wasn't two or three days later. He texted me and said, hey, are you serious about hiring somebody? I said, I'd kill to have somebody do my alignments and front end work so I can move on to, I can't keep up with my diags and everything. And uh, I said, but I, I just don't know where to go. He said, I'm tired of being here. And I said, eh, hey, easy, buddy. <laughs> I have a working relationship with your with your business. I, I, I just don't know if this is a good idea. He said, I'm going to leave regardless whether you hire me or not. He said, I'll go to the coal mine. I'll do construction. He said, I, this just isn't a good fit for me. I said, well, let me talk to Bill and let me get you some numbers. And well, I don't want you to leave if you're not going to make whatever money you're making there, right? I don't want you to leave because he, yeah. he has to drive 12, 13, 14 miles now, where before he was driving two blocks. Mm-hmm. So I I didn't want him to do anything hasty because he's still young, right? I mean, we all remember being young and dumb and doing stupid shit. Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, we got together and I give him a uh, we get talk numbers. He come over to our shop. At that time we were in the old shop and it's dark and dungy and it's damp and I mean it was clean, but it was not what we have now. It didn't have air conditioning. It did not have air conditioning. No, I had marks on the wall before we insulated one of the walls. 135 or 138 degrees on the tin with a heat gun. So, yeah, we agreed. I said, now, when you go back to your shop, you tell them if they want a month, they can have a month. If they want two Mm -hmm. weeks, I said, I don't know how far booked they are with you. If it's you tell them, you'll give them whatever time they want. Because I, you know, I'm not poaching, you know, I understand. that's, That's respectable. I understand. I I respect that. You know, scheduling and stuff. He said, okay. I said, and please let them understand that I did not poach you. Like, you were, you know, I I don't know how to do this, but tell them that, you know, you come to me. Yeah. You were going to go anyway. Yeah. So, So bless his heart. He went right over there and he said, hey, Justin said for me to tell you that he didn't poach me. And I thought, damn it, Zach. You're not supposed to say it that way. But, uh, (laughs) But they did ask him to give two weeks. And then they told him the next day that it's just going to be a week, but we'll pay you your two weeks. And that was on a Thursday. And this was in February because I was at the boat and travel show in Indianapolis on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. And he called me and said, we have problems. And I thought, oh, shit. <laughs> They've offered him big money, you know, which is fine, right? Yep. It sucks yep. that that's what it takes. But he's like, uh, first thing I thought of is, well, we'll see what they offered and we'll go from there. He said, they want my toolbox to be out before Monday. I said, damn it, it's Saturday, <laughs> and I'm in Indianapolis yeah. at a boat and travel show. He's like, yeah, they, they need to be out. Okay, so I called Bill. We have wreckers. We have wreckers, and we have flat. We have two flatbeds and two wreckers, and I said, not a problem. Let me call Bill, see if he's home. So we go get his toolbox, and we take it to our place. And that place was upset with me for a while. The front service rider was a little upset. I finally, yeah. after, after a week and a half, because... After a week and a half, I called him and I, because I have a cell phone number, the service writer over there. And I said, Hey, we need to talk. Mm-hmm. He said, Okay. He goes, I was going to call you. I said, Look, man, this isn't personal. Yeah. He said, No, I told Zach that if he ever found anything that would better him, he needed to go. And his words were, I believe he's better with you. 
So uh, after it was all said and done, nobody was mad. I think mm-hmm. it was more personal because we're rural. And the thing that Zach fits in with us so well is we're, we're family, you know? Yeah. Jeff is the guy that's been there 35 years. And if working with a guy since, I mean, I've been there since I was eight. So if, and I've worked with him full time since I was 18. Mm-hmm. So if that doesn't count as family, I don't know what the hell don't. I mean, what the that's, hell does? Yeah. That's I mean, longer I longer than a lot of marriages last. I, I give him shit because I wanted to leave when I was younger, right? When I went to college and when, when, and the old guy that fell and broke his hip was actually Jeff's father-in-law. They had actually had a shop together. Dallas was the old guy's name. Dallas was a classic example of a damn good tech and a horrible business guy. Yeah. They said they had to call, close their shop because they couldn't pay their bills. They had more work than they could handle, but couldn't pay their bills. Mm -hmm. Yep. So we're, Zach fits in that family thing. Like he, he thrives in it, right? I mean, he we uh, we got an old junk Dodge Caller, no Avenger, with wreckers and stuff. We impound or we get wrecks. People don't have insurance on, and we end up with the cars and stuff. We end up with an Avenger, so I think we give him the Avenger to drive back and forth to work because, like any other dumb kid, he has a six four diesel. So <laughs> we <laughs> not the best commuter. Right. Yeah. So we got him. Uh, we we helped him get a car to get back and forth to work that didn't cost him hundred dollars a week in diesel fuel. <laughs> mm-hmm. We we have a very nice shop. Like employees, yeah. every, I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. I told Jeff today that he was a bitch and that he needed to get out of my face and everything else. And Zach laughed and said, "That's why I love working here." Yeah, but yeah, I it's a very it's a it's a very dysfunctional family. Some days, eh? Like it's yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean. And I'm, I'm can guarantee you, I'm probably one of the hardest guys to deal with some days. Cause I get, if I get that car that's just kicking my ass or something's not going right, I do not do well with people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't people well at that point. I had a Volkswagen. It was an all keys lost. And I was trying to program the cluster to get it in service mode. Turns out my EEPROM clip was bad, but I spent three hours trying to get it to read it. And I was not in a good mood that day. So Zach had come over once and I just looked at him under my glass, over my glasses and he just walked away. <laughs> yeah. He figured it out, whatever he wanted. So what I take away from, from, from this, when you talk about, you didn't poach him and I know, you know, it's, it's a subject that a lot of people, you know, you get mixed comments on, right? I see it like this. If you hadn't offered that young man, Zach, another opportunity we'd have probably lost him in the industry, right? He probably would be out of it. So I want, this is, this is something I want to say for the, for the shop owners that are listening. And if you've had employees poached from you, A, I don't think it is ever personal from one shop owner to another. I don't think that that we guys are out there maliciously trying to steal your talent because they want to see you fail, right? They need talent, right? And I think at some point we need to, Stop being so hard on ourselves if we do do it, because we, if you're keeping that young man or woman in the industry, that is the key thing that we have to be doing right now. There's such a shortage that, you know, we can't be waiting anymore for the, they're not just going to walk in with a toolbox, right? There, there isn't enough of them anymore. We do need to do better. Um, like, uh, I don't think it's money. I, I mean, I, believe Zach come for close to the same amount of money with us covering his transport costs as far as back and forth. Most shop owners think it's money. I don't, I bet you it ain't 50 to 60% 
of this industry is money driven, the other's not. Yeah, I, I I've seen the change. So in the ten years that I've been kind of messing around on Facebook with these kind of groups and talking with these people, I've definitely seen the change where. Uh, you know, eight years ago, everybody was about the money and I'm seeing more and more people. And, you know, sometimes you think like, okay, yeah, you say that, you know, cause you talk to some guys and it's like, oh, I used to produce 70 hours a week at the dealer, but I didn't stay at the dealer because of the money. And, but then this, the rest of the story goes is that, well, a management change happened and they went from making 70 to 50. So they left. That still sounds like money to me. Which and I'm not faulting them for it at all. I've left every dealer job I ever left was because the money was starting to suck. Um, but I think it's more and more that it's like the the experts are saying. There's more. It's, people are leaving because of a culture issue, you know, a personnel yeah. issue that changes the culture. And I mean, we we as an industry need to do better. We need, still need to bring our pay up to a much more. Uh, competitive wages and uh, benefits and stuff comparative to the other skilled trades out there. But I mean, I'm no longer, I used to be really adamant that, you know, uh, it's the money is the reason that we can't do this and we can't do that. Now I'm realizing that it plays a part, but I don't think it's the biggest factor anymore. I think we do. The industry does a less than stellar job of selling itself as a career, you know, it, there aren't any more guys like yourself, Justin, unfortunately, that started out at eight in their, in their stepdad's shop, you know, um, tearing stuff apart and having fun. Is that even still you know? a thing? I mean, I mean, I wonder how, I wonder what the amount of family businesses today versus family businesses in 1985 in this industry. Yeah. Be an interesting thing to investigate, eh? For sure. And we, uh, you know, we can have a whole other talk at some point about nepotism in shops and because and, I've been on both sides of it and uh, I can see how it can be a very powerful thing when you have a bunch of family working with you in terms of, you know, it's like a, sometimes it's a united goal. Um, then I've also seen where it can be like, it oh, can be bad. It can be really bad. toxic. It can be bad. Really toxic. And, uh, it, can, and it, can dis- it can push a lot of people out of shops. Because it's too much of a family element, right? Uh, Yeah, we've been that. We've been close before when Mm -hmm. I was younger. Yeah. Uh, I think... I was to blame probably more than anybody. I mean, I always thought I was... I always thought I was the best of the best. I'll be honest. I mean, I got that swag, right? I don't know. It's Mm -hmm. personality. My boy has it. I tend to think it's funny until he does it to me, and then I want to beat him. But... um, Yeah, uh, family's awesome to work for and awful to work for all at the same time, or can be. Mm-hmm. Me and my stepdad have definitely had our uh, our arguments. There's been screaming matches. I've left the shop at lunch because me and my little brother, my little brother doesn't work there. He was there helping in the winter when he or off for school or something. Me and him got into it. I left at lunch. Did not have plans of coming back that day, but I had a very good customer's car tour apart, and it was promised out. So I went back. Yeah, we've had arguments in the middle of the driveway. I've thrown shit out in the driveway. I've cussed and threatened mm-hmm. to quit. The older I got, the more that stopped. Yeah. I got my head out yeah. of my ass, so to speak. Yeah. But family thing is rough, right? Because it's 
everybody's got everybody's back. Sometimes you think you deserve more than you need, or I don't know. It's mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it's just me being what, a punk. What I watched happen more than once was it was like you could see how that family member, say you're the non-family member working in that shop and you're watching the nephew. I'm thinking back to very early in my career, I worked in a shop and then it was a, a, a gentleman and his nephew and his nephew was, uh, I don't know, eight years older than me, had a lot more experience, um, but not a good employee in terms of reliability. Um, but he got all the uh, good stuff, right? Well, so he got away with a lot more than I would have gotten away with. Right. Uh, put it that way, right? If I had been at so many, if I'd have missed as many Mondays for you know, <laughs> Big uh, beer bottle and <laughs> beer bottle induced sickness, I'd have been kicking my lunch pail down the road in front of me. Wait, you know, and I've had a different mindset with that with the family thing. I always felt like I yeah. had to be the best one there. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't want. I wanted to be better than everybody else in the shop. Yeah. Because I always felt like that was my role or my goal or I couldn't, if I was going to get something else, I needed to work twice as hard for it because mm-hmm. I didn't want them to think I was giving that, that I was getting, give that because I was family. Yeah. I, yeah. That's an interesting attitude to have about it. The What I saw was that he knew he wasn't the best because it was his uncle that was ran the business and his uncle was still one of the best mechanics I've ever seen. But he felt like I'm just as good as anybody else, even if right. they're, you know, older than me. And it distracted from the fact that, okay, you might be really good when you're there, but you're not reliable. And um Yeah, it don't matter. It don't matter how good you are if you don't show up to work. Yeah, that's it, right? He he had a he he liked to gamble and he, you know, he um so he'd spend uh a lot of weekends um, gambling, you know, having quite a few beer and it made it really hard for him to make it in on Mondays. And this is way back in the day when I worked at a truck shop. So it was like, it was a lot of road service calls. It was a lot of like the first thing you got to do was to pull in the truck and trailer. And while it was still drifting snow, get underneath that thing and grease it. And I mean, like you're thinking, well, that's not bad. We all grease trucks. No, like you actually have to like wipe the snow off the grease fittings just to be able to put grease in the truck and trailer. Like it was, you're, you were soaked and your hands were frozen by, you know, an hour in. It wasn't the most, uh, you know, appealing Monday morning that you could have. So what's the, what's the long-term goal, Justin? What's the kind of, I don't want to say exit strategy, but, you know, for when kind of your more senior staff retires out or goes to three days hey, a week. If, we're all go- if, if we go to four days a week, we're all going, right? And now that <laughs> Um, yeah. I don't know. I need to sit down and talk with my stepdad more. I don't know that he has one. Um, I didn't even know that an mm-hmm. exit plan was a thing, right? Until ASOG and yeah, hanging out with Dutch. Like Dutch was at that EPROM class I went to. It was an honor to sit and meet Dutch. He is, yeah, he is the, I don't want to say non-tech because that, that's a besmirch to him, but I'll say this of all the shop owners that I met and interacted with. Uh, I knew Dutch before I was on Facebook. I I didn't know him, know him. I remember oh. him from IETN. So when I got to meet, when I got to meet Dutch at ASOG, he's like, who are you again? And I, he's like, I'm like, I'm the guy that did the, you know, the podcast for ASOG that everybody. 
kind of, you know, he's like, Oh, he's like, you and I, you and I need to talk one time. And I immediately, my, my throat dropped into my chest. Cause it's like, I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty, you know, I, I can speak pretty well about my thoughts and opinions and, um, but he is just a man at another level in terms of how steadfast in, in what he thinks, yes. you know what I mean? And not only is he steadfast in it, like he's lived it and done it. Right. So you can kind of, it's all speculation. Dutch doesn't say it unless yeah. Dutch has done it. Right. Unless Dutch can actually show you and that, you know, when he talks about shops that he's mentored them through um you know that he it's it's you're getting some of the best in the industry right there to be able to guide you somebody that has lived it has seen it you know and will be 100 completely honest with you and one of the most gracious people i've ever met and talked to in this industry like this the things that he has offered yeah i know of to That's, other people I've heard those in this stories industry too. yes is i yeah Sometime you and I will talk about it and it just like, there's a lot of people that talk it. He does it. That man. Yep, he does it. I walks it. He contacted yeah, me you know. about, uh, ADOS equipment. Uh, Scuddy had put him in touch with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked to him on the phone. We probably talked for an hour or better. Um, 60% was ADOS yeah. and 40% was business. <laughs> Cause I had questions and Dutch doesn't mm-hmm. care to answer. And, but I told him that I did not want to waste any more of his time until I'd done more homework because I felt like I was not ready with numbers. Yep. He's like, but you just call me anytime. I said, Dutch, I'm not, I don't have enough in information to, I don't want to waste your time. But yes, I, we get mm-hmm. that far mm-hmm. Dutch. Well, I probably will call Dutch back and say, Hey, what do I need to do? I'm a tech. I'm not a great business guy yet. Don't know that I'll ever be great. I just hope to be good. Mm-hmm. I, my main goal is to, semi have something that would be maybe a supplemental income for my kids or hell my kids want to run it i don't care so you're not you're not one of these shop owners that doesn't want to see their children following dad's footsteps man what a question yeah it's it's a loaded question isn't it eight years ago no there's i wouldn't i wouldn't want my kids to do this at all the last three or four years Mm -hmm. uh with some more changes yeah i mean my kid's a button smasher, uh, my boy. I have a stepdaughter that could probably run it. Uh, she is, uh, bus- I think she could be business savvy and ruthless at the same time and have a heart of gold. Mm-hmm. My boy is yeah. straight up techie and likes all that kind of stuff. He is not real mechanically inclined yet. Part of that may be my fault. My daughter does know how to put fluid in her Acura because, you know, it's got 200,000 miles on it mm-hmm. and the rack leaks on it. And I tell her that has yeah. to have Honda fluid. So she kind of gets all that. She can put air in her own tires. But as go. far as, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm okay with them running. I mean, I'm okay. There's a f- you've made a good living at it, right? I, yeah. I, well, see, I look at it. I, you know, I used to say a year ago, I said, and I still, when I meet people, I'm like, they're like, you're a mechanic. I'm like, no. I'm a fisherman that <laughs> like fixes cars. And they kind of give you that weird look, right? But then you break it down from you go, well, so my passion is fishing. What I do for a job is I fix cars. 
And that was when I was saying that, and it was because a lot of the passion had left of fixing cars, of wanting to be, you know, I wanted to be the, the, the go-to guy in the shop. I wanted to be the best. I didn't have to be the one making the most hours, uh, you know, but I wanted to be the one that everybody was like, if he doesn't have the answer, yeah, there might some, not be some days answer. it ain't you know fun I mean? being that guy um, though. I, I, yeah, it oh, right? more days than not. <laughs> it's 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 through it's through getting involved with Lucas and David and that first podcast that I recorded for them and how dude it I listened to that so podcast twice. How many so many people? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so many people that I had never spoken to, uh, even in the groups, messaged me and were like that. Like I felt that in my soul. So I can see myself coming around now to where uh, being a mechanic is, is part of my identity. Again, it's not just a job. It has been a well-paying job for me. I listen, I'm not getting rich at it. You know, I, I I'm not, <laughs> I don't want to say I'm shop owner rich. Cause hey, I mean, but that's, you got a boat. A, that's a stretch. You got a boat, too. right? But that's- you know, <laughs> well, yeah, but it's, the boat that I have and the boat that, you know, we, we joke that the shop owners all want is, is a different, like I got a little 14 foot Harbor craft, you know, aluminum boat with a 10 horse on the back. That's, you know, and listen, it isn't about, you shouldn't judge a person by that, right? You shouldn't judge a mechanic by the toolbox and you shouldn't judge no, a fisherman by no, the boat that he shows no. up in. So it has been a good career for me. Uh, I'm still on. I want to say that, yes, I could recommend it now uh, as an industry. And if I had a son or daughter, I don't, um, that wanted to to get into this, I wouldn't deter them. Whereas like two years oh, ago, yeah. been like, I never would have. Never. I mean, four, five, six <laughs> years ago, there's no way. Yeah. I even said my kid's going to have a four-year degree. He's not going to be what I am. Yeah. And now I'm, 40, I'm 43 yeah. going, you know. I don't have $180,000 worth of debt that student loans and I don't, you know, mm-hmm. I do have $30,000 yeah. in hand tools, but that's probably another for another podcast yeah. of, do we really need to buy our own hand tools? Yes. That's a, that's a topic that's in the notebook. So the, uh, the Jeff, the 35 year tech at our place, you know why he owns for tools in our mm-hmm. shop? Flashlight. Probably the least amount. That's it. That's it. Really? His deal. Whose tools is he using for otherwise? Uh, the shops. Wow. His sign-on was, "I'll buy your tools." Whenever, when when he come down with Bill, Bill said, "I'll buy, I'll buy your tools." That was thirty-five years ago. That's a lucrative deal, eh? That worked out good for him. Yeah. So. <laughs> hey, if they don't have their own tools, they can't leave. Ah. See, <laughs> then maybe that's the flip side on why so many people are trying to go for that. You know, no, that I never is thought not, of that that, that way. You know, they toolboxes got wheels for a reason, right? Well, yeah. if it ain't your damn toolbox, you can't. T- no, that ain't that ain't. Yeah. That was just a circumstance that it fell. And uh, that uh, Zach, my front end guy, mm-hmm. uh, my toolbox is big, green, and has a bunch of shit in it, right? When you're smashing buttons all day, you just need a Pico and a test light and some laptops, right? So I don't. Yeah. Use like I have a crash cart with quarter inch stuff on it and wire mm-hmm. strippers. Zach has full access to my toolbox. It's never locked. That's good. Don't even know where the hell the key is. I hope it's on top of yeah. it where it is, but 
he doesn't need to buy a tie rod tool. I have three. He mm-hmm. doesn't need to buy a great big ass 22 inch or 22 millimeter wrench for whatever. I have three. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Use my stuff. It's stupid yeah. to have yours. Yeah. Now I do think that some techs need to buy some stuff because like I said, if it ain't yours, you can't go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And how many shops pay for tools for their techs? Right. I mean, yeah. I think it's more popular and, now than it's ever been. Yep. But uh, but I I wonder if that's I want to say that that's not so much a culture change as it is a maybe driven by necessity from the fact of what probably. the prices of the stuff has gone to right. Probably. It's, it's and I mean you hate to be that, but I mean let's let's talk Turkey. I mean they can write some of that off, right? Yeah. So whereas the young person getting in can't, I can't claim my tools. Every- See, I could, but you can't. They've changed it here now, where it has to yeah. be like I think twenty thousand now. I don't know. I'm not an accountant. So up here, uh, when you're doing what we call your apprenticeship, so before you become a licensed tradesperson, you can write off. It might be five thousand a year that you spend on tools. You can claim that once you become a licensed tradesperson in the automotive trade, you can't. Other trades, for whatever reason, if you're a drywaller or an electrician, or yeah, oh yeah, you can write that off because but they mechanics? have mechanics. Because they have way more tools than we do, right? <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, if look at the tool belt. Uh, like, our industry know, has definitely been shafted for years. Yeah, but I mean, back to the the whole exit plan or what the my mm-hmm. so my like I'm a bigger's better guy. Like I have big dreams. Mm-hmm. Like I would like to be multi, uh, multi. Uh, you like to have multiple locations? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that would be cool. I also think it would be awful at the same time. But what they say on ASOG, they're changing the industry. You got to have three, right? Two's two's a headache. Three's where it's at. Yeah. Um, Anything more than three is just like you might as well. You you own them, own them, but you don't get involved in anything that goes on. Right? I, you kind of yeah. I enjoy the manager side. Like I enjoy trying to build processes or we need to do this, we need to do that or watching the numbers mm-hmm. and see where they get better or they get worse. I enjoy that because it's new to me and I have that, I can't get bored personality. So I may get bored with that of one side in 15, 20 years and do something else. Mm-hmm. I would, I mean, we got a new shop. We just, it's, I don't know. We've been in it maybe a year and a half now. We done it out of necessity uh, when we hired Zach, we got real tight with room and I forced a ADOS machine on the place and didn't have room for it. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we built a shop um, and I kind of wish we'd have done it 15 years ago, wow. but I don't, but I don't think we would have built what we got now. I don't think we would have AC. I don't think we would have mm-hmm. a 60 foot bay for ADOS. I just don't think we would have it. I don't, I would love to see Bill's auto last another 50 years and my somebody take it. My I'd kids like to see that too, honestly. Zach, yeah. I don't care. You know, my little brother's kids, hell, I don't care. This industry needs like and that's the thing we we talk all the time about the barrier entry and you know, we're going to see this mass exodus of of a lot of shops fall by the wayside in the next 10 years, 5 years, whatever, right as the tech keeps going. And there's there's pluses to that, but there's going to be a lot of sadness from that too, right? Because it's just, you know, the, I don't believe, I used to think that, you know, that all these people that 
that weren't up to date and wouldn't do the the what was needed to get there. Uh, I used to think it was just laziness or malice, right? And now I'm learning that it's just they just what they don't they don't know what they don't know. Oh and, no, um, I I learned that at a record you know, class one time. Um, one of yeah. the guys that was in my class the, was making fun of somebody else, and the instructor goes, "You you can't make fun of him because he doesn't know what he doesn't know." Yeah. He don't. I mean, you, you, but there's, is there an excuse to not know what you don't know now with the internet and with Facebook? Yeah. It's, that's really hard to say, eh? Because it's like, you know, I've, I've said that, that there's no dumb questions, right? No. Um, and I, cause I asked one the other day. Well, I, when I was having help with that charger, yeah. I, uh, yeah. was using the dial resistor in the AES wave kit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I never used it before because I didn't completely understand it because, when I got that kid, I was still dumb. I'm not that I'm not yeah. dumb now, but I'm less dumb. And uh, one of the guys, I think it was PJ, said, don't don't ask us what the black one goes to. Well, I grabbed my ground off my power probe, and I shoved in a test lead and thought it was the resistor test lead. Mm. Turns out it was one of the scope leads, and I couldn't figure out why my damn resistor wasn't working because it didn't have a ground. So, I mean, yeah. we're all... Yeah, so the first time I used it, it tripped me up too because I'm like, well, it's an inline resistor. Why has it got three fucking wires? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> what the fuck it does this thing it. do? Yeah. <laughs> and, to- and I'm like, wait a second. I got it, guys. I figured out why it don't work is because I hooked my ground up to my scope ground and not my resistor ground. I had, yeah. I had like three leads off my scope and I had my power probe on it. And these guys were like, do this, and do that. And even if we, don't know if that's what it is. Let's do that to see what this test done, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was really cool because I learned so much like in that 15 minutes, like I said earlier, it was, yeah. it was that that's what I enjoy about this industry. That's another reason that I don't have a problem with my kids getting in it because it's not the industry. It was 25 years ago. Yeah. Um, it's I not mean, I was industry. raised by old school gearheads that, if you didn't smoke, chew, drink, and cuss, yep. and your ass better be here, I don't care if you cut a, a limb off. You cut two toes off and a finger, you got to be at work tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That mentality is, and if you ask stupid questions, you got made fun of, right? Yeah. Uh, I still make fun of people. I have that. I'm sorry. Make fun of Scuddy for giving me a hard time. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I try not to do it on Facebook or anywhere else. Um, yeah. Be- because we need to pick this industry up, but it has come a long way. Guys like Scanner Danner and and Mario and mm-hmm. all these guys with the YouTube vid, YouTube channels, the YouTube heroes, whatever they call themselves. Yeah, yep. but it's yep. it's drastic mechanics. Like yeah, you this, know, so many. I I've said it before. Without YouTube, I wouldn't be still in this industry. Without Facebook, without I, YouTube, I wouldn't be me neither. in this industry. Me neither. Because I, I, I wouldn't. I was done. I when, yeah. when I found Scanner, of course. I was that guy that had the uh, snap-on Virus with the scope lead mm-hmm. still in the wrapper, right? Yeah. I was that guy. Yeah. And I can't remember if it was a communication. Something got tripped me up real hard. And everywhere I kept reading said, we need a scope, we need a scope, we need a scope. And I'm like, I don't even know how to use this damn thing. So I turned it on, and I started probing shit, and I got squiggly lines. I'm like, I don't know what any of this means, but I got squiggly lines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I Googled it found scanner danner's pico video that's like an hour and a half long or whatever yeah and it's like holy shit i kind of get this 
then it's like, hey, this guy's got a pay site and you can watch all these cool videos. And I got addicted to it because I have that addictive yeah. personality. And yep. my wife is like, why are you? It's, she's like, what is wrong with you? All you do is watch <laughs> this guy. <laughs> I'm like, it's the coolest thing ever. This guy's showing me how to be a mechanic. He is a mechanic. Like yeah. he's not talking over my head. Like he's dumbing this down for the rest of us dummies. Drastically changed my career. I mean, I, I, I think I would have got out. I think I would have burnt myself out and left. Uh, well, I've talked to Paul several times, and when I talked to him in AST, and I said, you know, more than once to more than one person, he still he's starting to, but he still doesn't grasp how much he's done, and I don't think he ever will. So, but have you ever you- talked to a tech at a training event or on Facebook that wants to be better that doesn't know Danner? Doesn't know Paul? I mean, that doesn't. So, know no, who he- anybody that I know that is forward thinking in this industry and wants to, re- like, and I mean, really forward thinking. Like, I've met lots of people, and they say, "Well, I want to be a really good tech, and I want to be a master tech." And I would say to them, "Okay, so depending on the age group, I used to say, well, you know, have you ever been on IATN?" And the guys ten years ago that what? Right. What's IATN, right? Now I go, well, do you know who Scanner Danner is? And it's still amazing to me. Now, again, a lot of the guys that I talk to, they're dealer guys. So they, you know, they they could probably tell you the names of the people that are in the videos that the OE makes. Right. But they don't necessarily know who he is because they don't tend to go home and, you know, try to find answers on other cars or try to take other training on other brands after hours right i was one of those weird people that did <laughs> but you know i we're going to be talking about scanner danner still 10 years from now i i honestly believe that even when paul whatever and i don't know paul's exit strategy at all <laughs> uh you know i don't think he has one does he um, enjoy I, it still oh he yeah yeah he does and i think what well so what I could tell you with Paul with the conversations we is what he's really enjoying now is spending more time with his brother, right? The best thing ever is him and Caleb. All that that relationship is on another level, right? Of of father and son. He loves being at his brother's shop. He loves seeing his brother starting to turn that shop around. Not Good. that it was a bad, but it was like, you know, a lot of that other the same struggles that that you face day to day in a, in a, in the business that thousands do his brother, James faced them too. customers. How do I charge for this? Like I can't, you know, I've, I've got five hours into this and we fixed it and it's been to 10 other shops. I can't charge them five hours. You most certainly can. Hell yes, you right? can. I mean, and yeah. when Paul came home from ASTE and as he's leaving, you know, when we're talking at ASTE, he's like, this is going to change my brother's life. It's going to change my life. Right. With what he came home with, with That's just good. that. The industry, yeah. so, owe, the industry owes him that. Oh, we can never repay him for what he's done for us is what, how I feel. Right. Like the, it's, he's guys like him, guys like Dutch, um, you know, we wouldn't be, the industry wouldn't be what it is without people like that. And, you know, and, it, and it's, it's Dutch and Lucas and David on, on the on the business side of it, right? And Scott and all the, the mastermind group. And then on the tech side of it, it's like, you know, guys like Mario, guys like Paul, guys like, 
Scundrich, like guys like Brian Pollock, my buddy. I mean, yeah. there's just so much, you know, brain power there that has been that we've we've been chinking away for years trying to get people to just talk and try to get people to to think in a different way um pushed for another level and it's been tough but i mean i would not when i look back at what i've spent the last 10 years doing where i'm going with this podcast man i wouldn't trade one second of it one second i if it wasn't for the podcasts if it wasn't for facebook it wasn't for Paul Danner. Wasn't for making meeting people like you, Justin. I'd be doing something else. 